Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women out there, and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tonawanda, New York. That's right, folks. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. You can get this podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and Beacon and Free Radio and Pocket Casts and more, and obviously Anchor.fm. Hey, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while providing conservation news and commentary along with sound science and conservation principles. Please help spread the word. You know, as always, folks, I just want to once again state that, you know, the commentary on this show is mine and mine alone. Um, It doesn't reflect any of the uh, official positions of any of the organizations that I may be involved with. But if it is an official position, I will let you know. Again, this is my show. It's my opinion. Um, But that's uh, just the way it is. Right, folks? Please help spread the word. We are growing like crazy. This is, uh, you know, it's really nice to see, and it's an honor to bring this stuff to you every week, folks. Got some updates to you. Um, The first big update is that the Erie County Legislature held their public meeting on Local Law Intro 1-1-2021, which is sponsored by Legislator Mills and Legislator Larigo, and is the county companion to lower the deer hunting age with firearms to age 12 within Erie County. This meeting was held on August 5th in the Legislative Chambers at Old County Hall, and I was pleased to provide some testimony in support of the local law. We had roughly 30 or so supporters in the gallery, and uh, more people stepped up to speak than I certainly was expecting. Erie County sportsmen and women were well represented, and it was also refreshing to hear from some folks that are not uh, necessarily connected with the county federation, Uh, There was a young mother of two kids, uh, and her youngest son being the outdoors enthusiast, and he is turning 12 years old, so he would be able to benefit from this. Uh, The Constitutional Coalition was also well represented with a young lady delivering a very powerful statement in support. Uh, We also had, uh, you know, several speakers come up from the Erie County Federation and the local clubs, all delivered great, great points, and it was fantastic to see. On the opposite side, you know, those folks had about eight or nine people in the gallery. A couple spoke, but they were largely ineffective with statements that kind of rambled and had no connection with factual findings or conditions. The usual fear of arming kids that already can hunt with firearms or for small game and and fur bearers, waterfowl and upland game, as well as 12-year-olds being able to hunt deer with archery tackle already. Um, It was a theme that really largely fell flat. Uh, the fact that kids age 12 or 13 cannot take advantage of the special youth hunt in, uh, in October, nor can they participate in the newly formed holiday hunt coming up this year, lowering the age would fix this injustice. Uh, since the measure passed with strong bipartisan support in the state legislature, it should pass with the same strong support in New York's largest county for hunting and fishing license sales. Um, Erie County is one of four upstate counties that has yet to pass um, their local law, uh, but all counties have now had their public hearing. Um, Unlike other hearings in other counties, this particular hearing uh, was held during recess. So the soonest that they could have a vote on this would be after coming into, uh, you know, reconvening shortly after Labor Day. So that would be in September. Uh, ramping up pressure for this vote once Labor Day uh, arrives is uh, probably going to be advisable for the sportsmen and women to get this one done for the kids of Erie County. Uh, Some additional tidbits that uh, we found, uh, there are apparently some attempts to continue to make people believe that animals are contracting the COVID-19 virus, and this time around it looks like they're trying to target hunters. probably just to, to try to coerce you to take a, the experimental drug and keep you in lockdown, lockdown, COVID, COVID, COVID. Uh, but the latest claims are that deer are testing positive for coronavirus antibodies. 
Now we heard that tigers had the COVID, had the COVID, COVID, COVID. Uh, the dogs, the cats. Oh my goodness, the COVID, COVID, COVID. It's getting everywhere, folks. Animals have coronaviruses. There are plenty of coronaviruses across the spectrum of the coronaviridae family that shows that each animal, and including humans, I have coronaviruses that specifically infect those animals. For instance, cats, feline coronavirus typically uh, manifests itself in more digestive intestinal infection like uh, diarrhea, loose stool, etc. Uh, however, it can become uh, an infectious respiratory uh, infection known as FIP or feline infectious peritonitis. It is a, a well-known uh, issue caused by a coronavirus, and um, they got vaccines for that for the cats. Um, canine coronaviruses, similar. Uh, you also have bovine coronaviruses, which uh, affects many different ungulates, or four stomach family of, uh, of uh, animals, which deer or cervids are related to. Uh, we do have uh, different uh, vaccines that are used in cattle to, uh, you know, basically immunize these animals against their coronavirus that attacks them. But this is not something that was coronavirus uh, 2019, the human version that jumped to deer. And we're testing, you know, the, those deer with PCR tests and, and such. Uh, it's just another lie that's being proffered by the liars in our government. It is absolutely unbelievable. Um, these are not the same type of antibodies, folks. Uh, animals have COVIDs, and the, these people continually try to tell you uh, that this is spreading beyond our own species, and it's, it's, it's about the most dangerous thing of full of lies and full of misinformation that can be even served up to the people. Uh, why we want to serve this up to the people is beyond me, except for tyrannical ends, no doubt about it. Um, you know, the majority of COVIDs in humans uh, causes a mild to moderate respiratory infection. Animals typically are digestive lower intestinal maladies, uh, but there are COVIDs for every creature on earth. And when it jumps from species like bats to humans, as was the case with SARS, that's when it becomes a dangerous virus. As it evolves in people, it becomes far less dangerous than the original strain as we learned from SARS. You know, it, it, it's absolute pure rubbish to hear all of these things that are being proffered in the news to further fear and dread, and it doesn't do anybody any good, and it's it's actually, you know, betrayal of the trust of the people, and I really don't know what the remedy is, but this is, uh, it's gone way too far, folks, and uh, it's time to stand up to these people and, and push back. I've been pushing back for, you know, since this started back in 2020. I think everybody needs to push back now. Stop buying newspapers, stop watching the TV, let their ratings go right in the toilet, let their advertisers start dropping them, hit them where it hurts, right in their pocketbook. They deserve to lose every last red cent that they're making on the backs of this fear-mongering propaganda. Unbelievable. In other news, uh, the deer plan comment period on the regulatory uh, components has now ended. It ended yesterday on the 8th. Uh, the comments have been submitted by, uh, you know, my, myself and also the uh, New York State Conservation Council has submitted on time their official position uh, on these, uh, the comments. Um, I certainly contributed mightily to that document, and others did as well across the state. And uh, they got a really good document in place. I thought the comments were, were appropriate, germane, and accurate. So kudos to the New York State Conservation Council. Uh, the deer plan is adopted, but we've got to go see if the regulatory pieces will be adopted based on all of the final comments. Um, these comments have to be gone through. Um, it takes time to go through these comments, so there may be some things that are in this deer plan, but regulatorily they can't get them codified in time. There's still a lot to go through, and that September firearm season that they're talking about for uh, problematic wildlife management units, such as here in Region 9, uh, WMU 9A and 9F as in Franklin, um, those that may not happen this year. It depends on how quickly they get those comments through. Um, However, other matters uh, such as the mandatory AR, the expansion of hunting hours, 
Uh, you know, these things could all be actually delayed or some could be implemented this year and some may have to wait till next season. Uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, and also remember that uh, trappers, you still have time to comment on the proposed Fisher and Pine Martin regulation changes. That comment period closes on August 16th. So, you know, trappers, you know, please say your piece, you know, that we only are strong in a participatory nature if we participate. So, you know, this is our opportunity to make our, our uh, feelings known and to get that out there. Uh, you know, the, the other uh, pieces of this deer plan appear to be pretty solid. Um, you know, the ADK, there was, there is some concern about, uh, uh, the antlerless harvest as, you know, deer yard up a little bit earlier in the northern zone than they do in the southern zone. Uh, and there is a concern that, you know, some some uh, very, very astute uh, black powder hunters may find where these yarding deer are, are uh, taking refuge and they're concerned that it would be easy pickings. I understand that. Uh, you know, the habitat up in the ADK is a forever wild kind of scenario. So that's the big limiting factor is the mature forests that are there. There's not a whole lot of food. Um, the expansion of uh, bear looks like that's going to, shouldn't be a problem. Uh, but we are looking as, as sportsmen, looking to try to buttress bear hunting in New York State and uh, reminding the DEC not to forget about legislative initiatives such as allowing bears to be ran with dogs and uh, potentially even using bait piles to track the, the bears in. Uh, you know, bears have to be managed and they're not as, uh, not as predictable, if you will, as a white-tailed deer. They are very, very intelligent. They're quick to learn. And, uh, you know, those numbers do have to be taken down. Incidentally, I'm getting a whole bunch of uh, trail cam pictures uh, from fellow hunters across Region 9, seeing a lot of big bears moving around now. So, you know, we might have a, a really good um, uh, bear hunting season coming up. Who knows? We might be setting harvest uh, records yet again this year, which wouldn't be too bad at all. Uh, we've got uh, the you know, hunter education courses are now fully on uh, ongoing here. Uh, you know the return of in-person classes uh, should help folks uh, you know get a little bit better informed and a little better educated, especially with some hands-on firearms work in the hunter safety classes. Something that can't be done online. However, the online portion is also up there as well. Uh, just remember that in person, these uh, these uh, particular courses are free of charge, but online there does carry a charge. It's a $19.95, I believe it is, for the hunter safety course, $29.95 for the bow hunter safety course. In order to be an archer, you do have to take the bow hunter safety course in New York in addition to the hunter safety course, the general course that everyone has to take to get a hunting license, whether it's a big game license, small game license, and turkey license, etc. Um, you know, that's it's a good thing to see, and these courses are filling up fast. And of course, you know, with the largest county in the state, you know, the one that has the most uh, classes that's held and the most well-attended classes is Erie County. So just another reason why we really need to get this uh, local law passed. Um, those are ongoing right now. You should see those listed on the DEC website. I believe the Erie County Federation of Sportsman's Clubs also has a listing of those uh, particular courses that are going on. And, and uh, you know, just you need to find one and, and sign up for it, whether it's online or in person. If you want to get out and you want to hunt and embrace that hunting heritage that we have while getting outdoors and you know if you got any fears of, of potential meat shortages with bacon laws or bacon rules that are being changed in, in agricultural practices uh, for for uh, pig farmers out in California or you know you're still looking at this chicken wing shortage and saying my god how long is this gonna last maybe getting involved in hunting would be a good idea for you but you know I'm just putting that out there you got to take a course in order to, to get out hunting well, folks, the first uh, segment is in the books. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport is going to be right back.
And welcome back to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, fellow sportsmen and women. Uh, welcome back to the second segment of this beautiful program on a beautiful day up in sunny Tandawanda, New York. Uh, you know, it's a it was a, a wonderful weekend and, you know, a wonderful week that we had. You know, last week was kind of busy. Uh, uh, we had VIP Fishing Day. That was held uh, down in Dunkirk on Wednesday, August 4th, which happened to be my birthday. Yay, another year older and deeper in debt. Uh, so VIP day on August 4th. Uh, this is where the Fisheries Advisory Boards of Chautauqua County and Erie County converge on Dunkirk Harbor, uh, inviting uh, all sorts of legislators, county planners, uh, industrial development agency representatives, investment bankers, etc., um, as well as all the charter captains from the Eastern Lake Erie Charter Boat Association. And we spend a half a day on the lake fishing, uh, followed by a lunch and informative talks that this year were limited, um, but they struck a common refrain that even during the COVID, COVID, COVID crisis of 2020, fishing and the activity that, uh, you know, comes along with that in terms of the economics uh, appeared to only be very mildly impacted. Uh, that was certainly certainly the case, especially early on when, you know, New York State was declaring things essential and non-essential. Uh, one of the declarations that was non-essential in that March period of time as everything was being locked down all the hell, uh, you know, was fishing and, and boat launching. And, uh, you know, we sportsmen and women, uh, I know I was on it within five minutes of that announcement and many, many others shortly thereafter joined the chorus. Uh, that fishing is is essential and you know we kept pushing back we had the right people in the state helping us out keeping things open and finally uh, you know despite some serious uh, vocabulistic gymnastics as I like to call it uh, trying to close down the state launches uh, it was in turn moved uh, you know just as the start of phase one uh, was being announced that you know, fishing actually was essential. All boat ramps, shipyards, marinas, private and public were opened. This was not just in New York, but Connecticut and New Jersey joined this as well. And, uh, you know, we had basically three days of uh, hardship in New York. Now, this didn't uh, really apply to the municipal and the private launches. Um, those areas that had to be staffed by local government, they couldn't be staffed, so they kind of closed those off. Um, you know, private entities were, you know, couldn't open, so they couldn't open up. But, uh, you know, that didn't last very long, and come April, we had everything fully open. And you could see that in the economic review that that was put together by yours truly, showing, you know, the, the basic years of, you know, starting in 2015. And, you know, this stuff was, was pretty much... Uh, you know, based off of the filler years that it can be done uh, by using the state of Lake Erie reports. You can also use state of Lake Ontario reports, too, to get a good picture of that Great Lakes fishery and what effort is going on into that. But going back to 2015 and looking at angler effort uh, in uh, on the Lake Erie uh, portion in New York State, uh, we began to see non-resident license sales uh, start to swell in 2017-2018. Uh, this really reflected, you know, the success that was starting to percolate and starting to be shown in license sales and in the economy locally from uh, the past several years of efforts with the VIP Day and bringing in a lot of outdoor writers from all over the country to write about their experience on Lake Erie. And it seems to have been working. Uh, in 2019, New York State set records, it looked like anyhow, from, from the data that I saw from the DEC, uh, with non-New York resident license sales across New York State. And in western New York, angling effort across all Lake Erie marinas increased in 2019 by 23.5% over the 2018 effort which was pretty significant. I mean, we had seen, you know, some, some declines that you could probably point to population decline as being the responsible driver of those declines of 1%, 2%. Uh, the biggest decline in effort was seen in uh, 2016, I believe it was, where there was a 6% a decline in effort. However, that 
all changed in 2019 when we had 23.5 percent of angling effort uh, increased that equated to adding over 9,500 angler days from May to October on Lake Erie alone. Much of this effort was driven by walleye fishing and anglers eastward heading towards Lake Erie. So it was a lot of intrastate travel, but there was interstate or tourism efforts and activity around this as well, quite a bit in fact. And it looks like at least 15% of the increase came from non-New York residents coming in and fishing, hiring captains and getting on the walleye. Then came 2020 and the COVID, COVID, COVID lockdowns, closures, non-essential declarations, travel restrictions, quarantine rules, etc., etc. And, you know, we, we certainly were expecting to lose quite a bit. You didn't have any non-resident tourism activity. Canada was shut down, etc. But surprisingly, the effort was only down 10% from 2019. Only down 10% absolutely incredible now certainly a lot of this was picked up by the 19 percent increase across the board in fishing license sales new york state experienced in 2020 uh you know so there was a lot of buoying on that 10 percent of uh of the, the you know the business was lost uh unfortunately you couldn't do anything about that but if we start looking at the uh activity and effort by uh marina which is measured, you know, there's five different marinas in total. You've got the small boat harbor in Buffalo. You've got Sturgeon Point. And then in the, the Chautauqua County side, those are the Erie County uh, the marinas that are measured. And then Cattaraugus County, Dunkirk, and Barcelona harbors in Chautauqua County. Um, those five areas are measured, you know, based on, on angler activity and surveys that are done by the DEC at the various launch ramps each year. And it was inc incredible because even though you, you know, they measure it from May 15th through October 15th, which is the uh, marina season, if you will, um, you know, if we would have looked at uh, Sturgeon Point, which is, uh, you know, was closed in 2020 for May and part of June, and then again closed up in September and uh in all of October's uh, measurement period due to the dredging. You know, there was COVID, 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 couldn't get people to do the work. And then the dredging was done pro bono last year by uh, Captain Dick Spoth and, and United Concrete, uh, along with uh, uh, the local uh, 17 Operators Engineers Union. Uh, you know, they, these guys stepped up, got things done for nothing, and allowed that angling effort to return. However, if I look at the averages, the historical averages that was lost, that was May and then uh, September and all of October, and just averaging from 2015 to 2019 and then applying those average hours spent that were measured, that accounted for 3.6% of what was you know, lost in terms of the total from 2020 versus 2019. So if we take that out and had that, I should say, had that marina been open as it should have been, the drop would have been 6.4%. And in the face of COVID, 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 to only have a 6.4% drop in angling effort despite no tourism, no Canada, holy moly. This then tells you, obviously, obviously that sport fishing is not only important but it's a foundation to western new york's economy and i would hazard a guess that you know it's a little bit stronger up in lake ontario's counties because they've been doing a much more uh thorough job at promoting and for a lot longer than erie county has interesting 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 it also speaks to the importance of sturgeon point as it makes up about 14 percent of uh, any given year's total angler effort for, by marina. That's a regional gem. And that's, that's you know, that 14% is across all of Western New York. That's not just Erie County. Uh, the largest effort is, is measured about 35%, 32%, give or take, depending on the year, out of Buffalo, out of the small boat harbor. And, uh, you know, there's, you have on par 
uh, Barcelona Harbor, which uh, Sturgeon Point and Barcelona both are really driven by fishermen. You've got uh, other uses that happen in Dunkirk and at, uh, at Cat Creek and in Buffalo where there's a lot more just boating and recreational access there. But fishing is really, really focused. It's the big deal it's at Sturgeon Point in Barcelona. Interesting. So, you know, it, it, it does speak to the point that this is a regional treasure. It is a regional resource that is important regionally. So who knows? Maybe we can find a way to help out the town of Evans regionally, after all, uh, leveraging some, uh, you know, sales tax realities that are generated here. Uh, we had perfect weather for VIP day, uh, but the fishing was a little slow. Uh, you know, there have been some northeast of winds that continually persist and blow apart the bait school. So getting fish to set up has been a challenge this year. We did catch a few fish. We had a good time. I was on board uh, Erie Eyes Sport Fishing with Captain Don Walter. It's always a pleasure to fish with my friend Don Walter. Had a couple other guys uh, that were part of Chautauqua, uh, the Chautauqua County Planning uh, Director, um dave mccoy was on board and you know we had a really good time even though we didn't catch a lot of fish uh we were able to everybody battle the fish uh, we caught two walleye and two monster sized lake trout and really showcasing what this lake has uh you know in terms of the non-resident promotion and non-resident uh traffic that's really driven by bass fishing where you know you've got a lot of do-it-yourself uh, guys that come in with their boats it's not a specialized thing you know you don't have to run the controlled depth fishing rigs that is demanded by lake erie walleye fishing you know you got your dipsy rigs your downriggers your planer boards your masts your you know that you're not running all of that that's very specialized stuff you know it, that doesn't appeal to as many people as say you know grabbing your fishing pole and casting and jigging for bass does or jigging for perch does you know this is uh you know a little bit different so the the non-resident side is really driven by walleye fishing uh because we do have the specialized boats being residents but the non-resident bass fishing sure uh that's something but but you got to look at the non-resident charter captain use too and you know that's really being driven here by this vip fishing day and there was a little bit of a kerfuffle that popped up through social media uh, when town residents in the town of Evans heard that Supervisor Hosler was invited to the event and attending. Uh, you know, no matter what the town residents may feel, and we understand that, and rightfully so, they're upset with the way this marina has been mismanaged for a long time. But this event, VIP Day, is two counties up and down the sea, the, the, the shoreline, rather, uh, and whether they like it or not, the town residents elected their supervisor who gets to go to the VIP day because one of the major marinas is in this lakefront community. So if y'all are upset with, you know, the, the supervisor receiving a regional invitation to a regional event, you know, that's up to you guys. You know, you got to you elect your supervisors. The people on the, the uh, fisheries advisory boards don't. And to, to bash an event uh, you know, because you're upset with your own town politics and this event has nothing to do with your town politics is kind of poor form. Um, you know, to Mary's defense, she has been communicating with us, albeit maybe, uh, you know, not fully transparently, uh, but she does have every right to be there and to learn about sport fishing. She did provide me everything that I was looking for in writing. So that was nice. She dropped me this monster thick thing, and I gave her the 10-page uh, review that I quickly whipped up. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for 2021 updated numbers uh, from from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. That should be done and, and released soon. But um, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a good thing to have. Now we can start uh, focusing on some of the things that we need to do, and it was a nice thing to see that Mary was, uh, you know, able to get me that information. And when she took a look at that economic data, she wished she would have had the data from, uh, you know, each marina before she, you know, applied for this grant that she's going for. It would have helped out tremendously. Maybe that'll bring uh, some, some uh, work closer together. Who knows? Well, folks, we got to take our next break. As you can hear that music coming up, 
Um, but, you know, half the show is in the can. Fastest podcast in history is flying by. Don't go anywhere. We love outdoors with Rich Davenport. will be right back. Welcome back, sportsmen and women and conservationists across the Fruited Plain uh, to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York, on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. Oh, yeah, this this uh, VIP day, you know, it was really a lot of fun. It was fun, uh, you know, working as first mate for Donnie Walter. Uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, just a, a ton of fun, and then afterwards... You know, the event was very well organized by uh, uh, Jim and Diane Steele uh, of the Eastern Lake Erie Charter Boat Association. Uh, it was a little bit of a smaller event. We didn't have the walleye fish fry, but then again, you know, the uh, Erie County, uh, or should I say the Northern Chautauqua Conservation Club, hadn't yet held their walleye derby. That was held this weekend. So, you know, they didn't have the walleye that they could cook up like they normally would. Um and, you know, with COVID, 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 and some of the older folks that, uh, you know, our club members, they were kind of concerned about the hosting of the event. We get it. It's all good. Uh, you know, so so we just uh, set up behind the Clarion. Uh, they did a nice catered event for us. The food was excellent, uh, even though it wasn't our walleye and, you know, everybody was missing that deep fried walleye. Uh, you know, it's it still, the showcase was there. We got the right people there, and I'm looking forward to next year. I will admit that. Um, you know, just fantastic. And the lear the learning that was done was, was, uh, you know, the teaching that was done, you know, to hear the charter captains talk about, you know, the expecting to lose so much and they really didn't lose a whole lot from 2019. Yes, they, you know, their business shrank a little bit, obviously, because people couldn't come in from out of state that have come, you know, started to develop this business every single year returning to visit. Uh, that's the nice part about tourism and the Great Lakes fisheries. People come back year in and year out. You know, it's not a one-and-done kind of thing. Um, but, you know, hearing that that uh, observation echoed uh, from from the people that, that gave those presentations from the charter captain's perspective, that was certainly gratifying to hear, and it certainly reinforces all the data that's out there that I can collect and put down in, in writing. Uh, you know, the, the dollar figures that I presented, you know, they're, they're based on, you know, five-year-old data. That's what we're really waiting to get uh, some updates on, you know, as prices have changed, things have, costs have gone up, etc. So, um, looking forward to that next year. Oh, so where are we going to turn to now? I think I'm going to have to give you some updates on uh, on some of the wind energy zealots because there's some problems in paradise, folks, and uh, this stuff is pretty amazing. Um, there's some big problems, and it's coming from multiple fronts now. The latest issue is with their, the Showcase Offshore Wind Experiment, the Block Island Wind Factory off Block Island, Rhode Island. To give you a little bit of a background, this is a story that the Wind Zealots, especially the Shills and the Sierra Club, are uh, you know putting forth and spinning the, one of the greatest fairy tales that rivals things that have been brought to life by Walt Disney. Think of Snow White and Cinderella, except the fair maiden isn't a beautiful young girl tormented by her wicked stepmother. Oh, no, no. The fair maiden is, of course, the spinning monuments to stupid, with the evil stepmother being the dirty, filthy, CO2-emitting fossil fuels. Ooh, it's perfect. Once upon a time, Block Island, better known for its two lighthouses, the North, Light, North Point Lighthouse was built in 1867, um, and then you have the South uh, Bluffs Lighthouse that people, you know, go and tour all the time, um, is an island community which reminds me of the fictitious Amity Island from Jaws. 
roughly 1,000 year-round residents call Block Island home. And it was formed by glaciers during the last ice age. And the island has become a destination for summer tourists with up to 20,000 seasonal visitors visiting per day. And their season typically runs from around Memorial Day to right before Labor Day. You know, Labor Day is the last hurrah and everything shuts down, right? Um, you know, so, you know, actually they go through September 30th. Uh, excuse me for, for uh, misspeaking there. Their season is June 1 to September 30th. They do weddings, they have fishing tours, they have harbors, boating, beaches. You can tour the lighthouses, all of that. I do find it interesting to note that when you go to the Block Island visitors page, there's not a single picture of these fine spinning monuments to stupidity. Despite these things being located roughly 3.8 miles offshore from the very, very popular South Beach, uh, you know that's uh, you know kind of interesting that they're not you know pushing this on their on the uh, on the uh, the website. Um, boating, fishing, bird watching—it's a seaside paradise. Um, every year, uh, you know, Block Island, due to its distance from the mainland and other constraints, electrical energy has predominantly been provided by several diesel generators operated by the Block Island Power Company. Uh, residents then bought into the promise of, you know, renewable energy because, of course, they've got to have their green energy. Green is good. You know, carbon dioxide is filthy when it really isn't. Um... So this, this project was built to provide, uh, you know, enough uh, electrical energy for the residents of this uh, island community and a five-turbine wind factory uh, that has an install capacity of 30 megawatts, although the capacity factor, which is what they forecast that it's going to do, is pegged at 47.6% or so. So they expect the factory will actually produce a little over 14 megawatts to the island every, you know, given hour of every given day. So, you know, 14 megawatt hours uh, to the island, which is enough for the needs of the island. Although the costs of the project were staggering by any count, $290 million for five turbines, um, that if you, you know, go by maximum capacity, that's $9.7 million, uh, million per megawatt. Unbelievable. However, you know, in December 2016, uh, you know, the construction was completed and the wind factory became operational. And although it didn't replace all the generators, it reduced the use of those units, allowing for a few of them to be decommissioned. And it was heralded as a green success. Again, no more dirty CO2, even though CO2 isn't dirty, it's, it's plant food. Um, the island finally had power to be proud of, as the Sierra Club is touting. But it be quickly became a problem with the cabling from the, uh, the wind turbines to the shore. Um, as that first issue arose a couple years later, um, apparently... Uh, you know, they went on the cheap when they installed the transmission lines and they didn't bury them deep enough under the seabed. And the tidal currents and, uh, you know, the different forces of the ocean have caused the cables to be exposed right to the beach. And that's right at Crescent Beach. It's a very popular beach. Those cables were exposed, forcing, you know, little warning flags to be put up all over the place. And they should have done, you know, the dredging or the, the cabling should have been trenched to the depth first recommended. They did go on the cheap. And, uh, you know, what's happening with that is you've got these erosion protectors, the head cutting protectors, this compounds the problems, that are at the base of the stanchions are actually with the tide causing the cable to actually wear at these uh, erosion prevention uh, parts of the, the, the stanchions. And it's causing shorts in the transmission line. So you've got uh, re-exposed cables on top of, uh, you know, the wearing of the, uh, the cabling itself, breaking through the uh, conduit and starting to cause problems with transmission. Um, and just, the, you know, just the reburying of, of these cables alone um, to get it, you know, the, these beaches safe again. Um, they're, they're saying that the project could exceed 30 million, but it could be much higher as they try to solve the problem of the cable and the, the wearing on the uh, uh, anti-erosion 
uh, plates that are installed at the base of the stanchions. And this work was supposed to begin in spring of 2021 to address these cable problems. And uh, it was actually postponed due to engineering problems, which will undoubtedly increase the cost significantly. And who pays for those? That's right, the Rhode Island ratepayer. Congratulations. However, residents began noticing starting in July or so that four of the five turbines had ceased operating completely, even on windy days. It's not like they can't notice them, right? They're only 3.8 miles from shore. And, you know, the science of visibility, as we remember, if you want to make them invisible, they got to be 30 miles away, so 10 times that distance or so. Anyhow, uh, it was noted that uh, nothing was happening with them, and a reporter by the name of Dave Collins uh, from a publication called The Day, uh, that's out of New London, Connecticut. Uh, he has an article that was published yesterday on August 8th, 2021 on Yahoo News. And he writes that he spent the better part of a week trying to learn why these things have been shut down. And after many not returned phone calls and emails, he finally got a statement from a Rhode Island public relations firm that called the shutdown ongoing routine summer maintenance that is expected to continue for the next few weeks. Wow, what an answer that is, huh? Now, the saga of this, the original developer was called Deepwater Wind Factory, and they sold out to Orsted, which is a, a company out of no Norway, and they do, uh, the, the, they're the largest uh, builders, developers of offshore wind in uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Um, they promised to actually open uh, an office in Rhode Island to provide support and answer questions for this Block Island uh, uh, wind factory that is the model of the experiment of offshore wind for all these greenies. And everybody has been very mum. And they can't, of course, reach out and contact this Rhode Island office because it has never been opened. And, uh, you know, all the, the, the phone calls at Orsted's website takes you to Norway. And, of course, the time difference makes it very difficult to actually communicate with a person. You know, how convenient. So, in any event, this writer, Dave Collins, he goes on to, you know, try to find some information out and, you know, about the turbine shutdown. And while talking to National Grid, who is the supplier that has agreed to purchase the power and sell it back, decided to throw some mud in the water by revealing that the turbine shutdown has no impact on the electricity supplied to the island. I want to repeat that. The turbines ain't spinning. They're down for months for supposedly routine maintenance. The island had their generators, their diesel generators, replaced. They've been mothballed. And the electrical energy is now being supplied by a transmission line that is going from the island to the mainland which was installed to get the power from the, the island, collecting it from the wind factories to the mainland. Eh? Yeah, you heard that right. So what's happening is the electrical energy from Block Island is not being realized directly by the people, as was exposed in this article by Dave Collins. It's actually being sold and picked up by National Grid and it's going right into the Rhode Island grid, and then it's being turned around and sold back at a premium to the people versus the diesel generators, which you turned them on, they stayed on Block Island, and they, all the power on that was generated and kept by Block Island. There was no interconnection to the mainland at the time, but now there is. Isn't that interesting? That was part of the $290 million, by the way, was getting that mainline connection, and now you're getting electrons from the mainland? Not, not the wind factory? I'm confused. I'm real confused. I mean, this is so confusing that, that it, you know, you can't make this up. I mean, this is like, you know, they're throwing it under the bus. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick break here for our final uh, break of the morning here. But uh, we're going to be right back to, to, to wrap up this uh, wonderful development on Block Island here. Don't go anywhere, folks. 
and welcome back, sportsmen and women, to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming at you from sunny Tandawanda, New York, for our final segment of the morning. Yeah, we're flying by here, folks, and, and I'll just jump right back into this, this Block Island story because this is just... This is just too good to be true. I mean, this is unbelievable. So so you've got this writer, Dave Collins, and he's been told that, you know, there is no interruption in power uh, despite the turbines being shut down and have been being shut down for the last month or so uh, because power now is being provided to the island from the mainland. And, uh, okay, so after several days of... Uh, emails and phone calls to Orsted. A representative from Orsted informed Collins that this is routine summer maintenance to repair stress lines identified by General Electric, who's the maker of the turbines. And after a risk assessment showed the turbines to be structurally sound, the repairs are expected to be complete in the coming weeks. That was from Orsted in an email that was received by Dave Collins questioning why are these things shut down. So how are they getting power? Well, it's coming from the grid from, from uh, you know, Rhode Island. And, uh, you know, there is no word on what was wrong other than a stress line and structurally sound. It, this doesn't sound routine. Uh, this sounds like there's a problem with the stanchions, kind of similar to the stanchion that uh, had a stress fracture running down its entire length um, at, a, at a farm, uh, a vineyard in Pomfret. I won't name the vineyard, I won't name the, uh, the, uh, the owner of it, but it was a private, uh, uh, privately leased uh, uh, wind turbine, and that ceased working after four or five years. Yeah, go figure, that's kind of deja vu, right? And... Um, you know, it, it turned out that it wasn't structurally sound, and the uh, the turbine in question at this private used leased turbine uh, was obsolete. It wasn't worth repairing, so you know they just walked away from the lease. You didn't have to pay any more uh, vineyard owner, and we're just going to walk away from it. That was the wind developer. Um, so you know, stress lines are found. If there's some stress showing on the stanchion. Um, you know, what's going on? I mean, obviously the wind can certainly play havoc. When you get really strong wind, there could be a problem. But now you throw in the, the power of the tides and the power of the water currents, which is a far heavier, far denser substance than air. And tidal energy has been defeating the cabling plan. Why wouldn't oceanic energy do something similar to the stanchions? This is what it seems like. You know, in any event, the lie that the five turbines... Um, are working. It's it's just a waste of money that provides power to the island. It's It's been exposed. It doesn't provide power to the island. It heads to the mainland for sale to the grid. And then ratepayers indicate, you know, when they want renewable electrons versus dirty electrons, which you can't tell the difference because electrons aren't marked, you know, hey, I'm from wind and hey, I'm from solar. Well, I'm from dirty coal and I'm from dangerous nuclear. That's not the case. That's not the game. It's a game from the, the, the power suppliers to say, hey, you know, you're going to pay more, but you're going to feel better because it's green, even though it's just in the mix and you're going to get whatever electrons are available at the time. It's a scam. So here, here they go. Here's the biggest scam on the planet is this Block Island wind factory that's, uh, you know, basically doing nothing right now. It's absolutely nothing. And you've got a 20-year life cycle on these things that, you know, in four years, massive repairs are required. You could be spending in excess of a billion dollars to recable this entire thing from, from turbine stanchion all the way to the mainland connection. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, you know, the power does come from the mainland, uh, according to the Block Island Power Company. They're not running those gen diesel generators anymore. They know that if they don't have power coming from the, uh, the turbines, that it's just picked up by mainland, picked up by grid power, which is the same thing that uh, New York is involved in with all their, their turbines, and yet we have to import energy from all around us just to keep the lights on. And what a fiasco absolutely unbelievable and everybody is keeping everything very very quiet because if this comes out it's obviously the biggest black eye for offshore wind that would be suffered so they can't tell the people the realities of this um 
all involved are very quiet. We already know that the fisheries and the fishermen are fighting. The fishermen and finally they were they were promised a bunch of things that were completely false. It hasn't materialized. The fisheries have taken a big hit. They're worried about their gear getting hung up on transmission lines, which has already happened. The commercially uh, important codfish, the Atlantic cod, are nowhere to be found because they've been displaced by infrasound during operations, and uh, you know they're just not. They're just not saying anything at all. It's just absolutely unbelievable. All the lies have been made bare, uh, laid bare. Again, check, check Yahoo News. Uh, look for a, a writer by the name of Dave Collins, and uh, it's the Block Island uh, uh, wind saga that he's got up there uh, and to get informed on this one. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, by the way, speaking of crazy, the next dog and pony show from Nyserta and Great Lakes Wind Feasibility which we already know from 11 years ago, and the last feasibility study um, has no merit, but this never been done before feasibility studies. Next dog and pony show is August 10th, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's tomorrow, folks. It's via Zoom. Check it out if you want a good laugh. Unbelievable. Oh, well, I tell you, you know, I'm going to leave you guys with some good news because, you know, I, I do like, uh, you know, the, to give you good news from time to time. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, Northern Chautauqua Conservation Club uh, did have, as I alluded to earlier in this uh, uh, podcast, um, you know, they had their, their annual uh, walleye derby uh, that concluded uh, this past weekend. It concluded yesterday. It was a two-and-a-half-day event, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday, or full days, uh, the, the scales uh, closing at, uh, you know, 6 p.m. on each one of those days. And then the, the scales closed at 1 p.m. yesterday. Uh, so two and a half uh, uh, days worth of fishing. And I'll just give you the top line uh, winners here. They, they had a full boat field. Um, uh, they, you know, paid out the top 15 fish. Uh, and I'll give you the, the in order of, uh, of first to worst or first to the top 15. Uh, the winning weight uh, came from Team 42, Bob Ebersol's team, 9.2 pounds. In second place, uh, Team 77, Dennis Piller Jr., 8.72 pounds. Uh, in third place was Paul Port on Team 28, 8.56 pounds. Uh, in fourth place, uh, David Levin, Team 27, 8.55 pounds. In fifth place, Paul Port. Uh, with a, a second entry, because you can do that, uh, 20, Team 28 again, 8.44 pounds. Arnold Moore in sixth place with uh, Team 7, 8.36 pounds. Uh, Jim Scalish came in uh, seventh place uh, with uh, Team 59, 8.34 pounds. Uh, and that was with a tie with Team 108, Dave Barron. He had a 3.8.34 or 8 pound fish as well. In... Uh, uh, 10th place, you had 8.3 pounds uh, from Robert Orham, Team 86. Uh, team 50, Herb Schultz, ready to go, Herbie, 8.25 pounds. Um, Daniel uh, Subcheck on Team 33 came in with an 8.12 pound fish. And Bob Rustowich with Team 83, 8.11 pounds. Um, Richard Kazmarek, or Kazmarski rather, Team 40, 8.06 pounds. Bob Ebersol came in with an 8.05 pound again, and Bob Rustovitz rounded out the top 15 with a 7.97 pound fish. Congratulations to the big fish, guys. And the top five teams in total weight, which was nine fish, three fish a day, uh, nine fish max over the three-day period. So nine fish, um, team, I'll do this in reverse order this time. In fifth place, team 59, Jim Scalish with a 51.24 pound bag. In fourth place, Dennis Pillard, uh, Team 77, with 51.79 pounds. Congratulations on the fourth place finish. Gary Olson Jr., Team 21, had 52.04 pounds. That's a nice bag of fish. Paul Port in Team 28 came in with 52.51 pounds. And the, the total weight winner of the Northern Chautauqua Conservation Club Tournament with Dave Byers, uh, Team 81, with 53.97 pounds. Congratulations to all the winners there. You know, I did see some folks that I recognize. Uh, Russ Tenemore did come in in ninth place with 48.86 pounds on Team 74. I see Zen Olo was in there in the mix as well. 
although he came in 36th place, uh, Team 63 with 42.66 pounds. But it's nice to see some of my friends were fishing out there. Uh, I know Jimmy Scalish very well from the uh, uh, South Towns Walleye and uh, you know Erie County Federation and, and such. He's a, a real nice guy. He uh, you know came in fifth. That's good to see. Uh, see some friends fishing that tournament and doing very well. Uh, congratulations to all the winners. And that's a hell of a nice thing to see. So, you know, it's good to know that the fish are out there. They're not being impacted by those turbines yet. Just stick those out there and we can have Block Island in fresh water. And, uh, you know, none of the fishing that is a, a foundation to our economy. You know, it'll take such a hit on the chin. It, it, it won't even be funny. Um, it'll be one of the biggest tragedies we would ever see. But, you know... It's uh, just the, the stupid has to play out. Uh, the, the resistance to this stuff, the opposition is growing. Uh, more and more people are, uh, you know, joining the chorus to stop this stuff. And again, on August 18th, that's uh, going to be next week, I believe it is. Um, you've got the uh, meeting of the Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie. They're going to be meeting at the Northern Chautauqua Conservation Club at the full of, foot of Mullet Street, west end of Dunkirk Harbor. And uh, that meeting is going to start at 6.30 p.m. Uh, so, you know, they're limiting it to 20 people um, just to make sure that their capacity, they can handle it and they're not causing any kind of problems. Uh, but, you know, they, get that word out, folks. And, you know, if you're down in the south area, the, the southern tier, you're, you're, you know, in between Dunkirk and the, uh, uh, the Pennsylvania state line, or if you're even a Pennsylvania resident, you want to come up, you want to get information, make sure you attend that meeting. Uh, let's not make this one the block island of the freshwater side. This is an embarrassment, folks. Um, and push back on this stuff. Uh, there's also another thing going on that on Lake Ontario, there's an effort uh, to designate uh, Lake Ontario as a national maritime monument. Uh you know, it's a, a sanctuary, rather, a maritime sanctuary. And uh, there's environmental impact studies that have been ordered uh, as part of this designation. And they're complete environmental impact studies. And, you know, very detailed, heavy work, uh, which is making a lot of people now scratch their heads. If we're trying to make a marine sanctuary, and a sanctuary requires this impact statement, this environmental impact study to be done, well, to make it a sanctuary, why are we not demanding environmental impact studies on proposed wind factories? See, there's that problem again with the Office of Renewable Energy siting and this lawsuit that has been filed against New York State and ORS. Who knows? Uh, the final development, obviously, you know, if people have been living in a cave or not uh, in New York State, Hansi Andy Cuomo um, has been dealt the bad news that uh, was expected, and it was a lot harsher um, from Attorney General Letitia James and her release of the sexual harassment uh, investigation on Governor Cuomo, determining that he is a, a creeper, he has at least sexually uh, harassed and possibly assaulted 11 women. Um, they've got uh, 74,000 pages of documents, uh, many hours of testimony that has been through it. And Hansi Andy's response has been, well, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm sorry, but they read into my intentions. Uh, I didn't mean to, uh, you know, harass anybody. And, uh, you know, they, you know, I didn't do any of these touching things despite, uh, you know, the witnesses saying the contrary, watching me grope these women. And it's, it's their fault anyhow, because, you know, they give a bad name to, uh, legitimate sexual harassment claims. It's absolutely breathtaking, folks. Um, the call for this guy uh, to be ousted is growing by leaps and bounds. And uh, who knows if this folly is going to continue um, if, uh, if Cuomo does resign or is impeached. He's not indicating he's going to resign. The guy has no honor at all. Um, but who knows if impeachment's going to happen. The calls uh, for his resignation across... All parties is uh, getting louder and louder, so who knows. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. The fastest podcast is over, but stick around for next week. I'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.